This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 256. I'm very excited to bring the wonderful psychologist, Dr. Natasha Beck, to you today. She's from America and uh, we had a wonderful chat about all things parenting. Uh, We talked about uh, certain things like ADHD. We talked about anxiety. We talked about coming back into school in a live social environment and how that might be impacting our kids. Um, We also talked about some of those lifestyle factors that can be just so important and powerful uh, when it comes to an overall picture of a child's health. So you'll hear again things like mouth breathing and uh, things like nutrition, environmental toxins uh, woven into the conversation as well. Uh, I learned some fantastic little nuggets and reframes and shared a couple of personal examples of uh, parenting myself as I had ahas live in the conversation. So I know you guys are going to love it too out there who are parents or carers. I think it's a really great one to listen to. And if you missed our children's health focused topic um, bundle about two months ago now, or 12 shows ago. Could be another way to look at it if you're not listening live. Uh, we had some wonderful people such as Rod Sopa on the show, Maggie Dent. Uh, so if this is a topic that interests you, I highly recommend you jump back into the podcast archives, which you can have a look at lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and uh, have a spin through the topics that we covered a couple of months ago on this as well. Uh, So before I hook into that uh, interview, I just wanted to remind you we are now well into the month of October with your live sponsorship opportunity uh, with Block Blue Light. Uh, You guys know I'm a huge fan of this brand, amazing blue light blocking products which help us prevent that um, car crash that happens to melatonin when we're exposed to blue light uh, in the evenings with a a huge range of fantastic products uh, and uh, things like light bulbs, glasses, night lights, uh, reading lights. Uh, There's a huge, huge range. But tonight I just, today, sorry, I'm talking about nighttime now. I wanted to mention red light therapy because Uh, You might have seen these funky looking red light therapy panels, uh, all the rage in the biohacking community in the States for a couple of years now. But why they're interesting to use, and and I love uh, that Block Blue Light have brought one out that's Australian um, for the Aussies, which is great. And they've been fully certified by all of the relevant Australian electrical safety standards uh, that these sorts of products need to go through. Uh, But their range of panels are the highest power output panels available, which ensures you're able to get the therapeutic dosage to ensure maximum benefits. Um, They have a huge range of like little ones, big ones, and this can mean that on any budget you can jump in and make the best of red light therapy. It can be incredible for deep tissue healing, inflammation recovery, uh, all sorts of research around why red light therapy can be very useful, very useful to the mitochondrial rehabilitation uh, and energy as well. And for those of you who are concerned about EMFs, uh, these have been tested. They're flicker-free and ultra-low EMF compared to some of the competition out there. So they're true health devices, not just doing one good thing and unfortunately one other bad thing happens when you use them. 
and I can tell you now, they see, they are far more affordable than the ones that come from the US and overseas shipping uh, that happens as well. Now, you can have complete confidence that they have a three-year warranty on their red light therapy panels as well. So given the discount this month is 15% off, that's a really nice little chunk on a higher ticket item like a red light therapy panel box. Uh, and you have the code LOWTOXLIFE15 and the website is blockbluelight.com.au to make the most of it. So very, very useful, as I said, for people with inflammation, chronic tissue inflammation, uh, people who need some extra mitochondrial support. Uh, these are just some of the, the ways that a red light therapy panel can help. So enjoy that offer and now enjoy this conversation with Dr. Natasha Beck. Hello, Natasha. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Alex. How are you? I am really well and I am very excited to have this conversation because I am passionate about children's health. I've done a lot of work over the years on fussy eating and helping families just develop that really lovely food attitude as a family, um, you know, bringing kids into our world instead of creating a world of Cocoa Pops and weird kids meals for them. So that's part of what we're going to dig into today, but we're going to cover so much more. And uh, I think with your incredible background and knowledge, uh, we're going to get into some juicy stuff. So the first question I have for you is as a health professional, what made you gravitate towards kids and their brains and behaviour? Because you can obviously go lots of different directions. Uh, what what started you thinking that? was? Were you quite young or was it something you professionally developed into? So when I was younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, which is now known as reading disorder. And so um, I was always passionate about learning more about like developmental disorders, specifically neurodevelopmental disorders. And I always loved kids and I always knew in some way or another, I would work with children. So that was kind of the path that started me along this journey. And that's what took me to get my master's and go to graduate school and get my doctorate. Um, And from there, when I started to have my own children, I really started to dive even deeper into the non-toxic world. Yeah, I can imagine. It's um that children might I only have one son, but uh I had kind of gone green-ish as a lot of people do who care about the environment or you know those sorts of things. But I discovered when he when I was pregnant with him that so much of the green stuff was greenwashing and actually a picture of an earth on a label means absolutely nothing um and it's just as natural all natural (laughs) oh yes exactly and it was just such a revelation I think it's incredible what um having a child inside you does to the woman's brain to just become this hyper vigilant protector of all things for this tiny human about to be born something changes doesn't it well, your brain actually physically changes. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? I know it's a, it's very early for a tangent, but um, <laughs> it's just very neuro, interesting. We can talk about the me. neuroscience behind it. Yeah. Um, sure. So um, the part of the brain, the, the, the limbic system um, gets actually bigger. So you are more able to um, be in tune with your, your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, then you actually develop pregnancy brain, which is a real thing. Mm. Um, you, you can't recall things. You can't remember things as well, but it's because you're wanting, your body's wanting to make sure that you're really attuned to your baby's emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And as someone with a PhD, have you figured out a way to uh, rewire that? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I, I may forget things, you know, and have trouble recalling things on the, on this podcast. <laughs> yes. So you're pregnant with your fourth, correct? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And so can I ask you as uh, a parent, but as a parent who has so much intel on how kids' brains work, when you think about everything you've learned and then you think about being a parent to three kids and another one on the way, what have been some of your biggest kind of revelations, I guess, where you have a bit of a giggle to yourself? You're like, oh, gosh, yeah, now I'm going through that. Um, you know, there must have been a couple along the way. 
Um, that's a great question. I think, you know, just seeing children and the way they think and mm. the odd things that they say, you know, it never surprised. It, it, it always surprises me, I think, is um, even with my own children. But when I worked in clinics, I think I found that, you know, something that I didn't learn in a textbook was with the patience that you needed to have with children mm. and yeah. how you need to slow down. Um, because when you slow down, you really see all that amazingness that children bring um, and the way they perceive the world. Because I find that when a lot of parents over talk and over explain and talk too much, and so you don't actually get to hear what the child's thinking or doing or you know wanting to do mm. because you're filling in that silence. And so I found that you know sitting back and really allowing the child to unfold on their own without yeah. so much um, um, like me intervention from me mm -hmm. or in another adult um, really allowed me to see so much more. Beautiful. Oh, that is such an amazing observation. And it's so true. Kids are seeing details that we just don't care about don't anymore once we're adults. We just don't see them. We no um, longer see it. Our, our, like, our, literally our, our scope is so much more narrow in some ways and, and mm -hmm. children everything. And so I think that's the fun part. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Um, is there an activity that you like to do that helps you slow down as a parent or something you like to suggest to uh, patients? It's a great question. Also um, grounding. I definitely mm. like to get my feet bare and walk on the ground, whether it's the grass, the beach, the dirt, wherever, mm. just to kind of feel more present. Um, I like to have times where I'm just looking outside and meditating to myself and talk, like thinking to myself and actually saying what I'm grateful for. Nice. Um, I, so part of, of it, so part of it's actually doing the work yourself when you're not even with your children. Right? Oh, it was a lot. With, yeah. Yes. 100%. So when I wake up, I do these things um, and I talk about what I'm grateful for and looking and there's lots of research even showing that if you talk about like what you're grateful for, what, you know, excites you, and everything and like just being like having those positive affirmations actually does make you feel better mentally. Mm. And so I really need to do that to slow myself down when I'm with my children. Yeah. And then whenever I'm with my children, how I slow down when I feel a couple of things, when I feel like I'm about to lose it, which mm. inevitably you will lose it as a parent. Um, I first will say to myself, Am I upset with myself for something or am mm. I really upset with my kid? And oh, that's a big me. one. <laughs> yes. So I will yeah. say nine times out of 10, I'm actually upset with myself. If you mm. actually think about it, you're yelling at your kid because they're not listening because they're not going to uh, getting ready for school. Mm. But did I allow them enough time to get ready? Mm -hmm. They don't understand the concept of time until like uh, starting until around age seven. And that's when they start to get it. And even then, you know, we're always rushing our children and they're not quite getting mm -hmm. the reason why we need to do that. So did I need to allow more time for my child? Yeah. So, you know, if, am I frustrated because they're not going to sleep? Is it because I'm really frustrated at them when they're just wanting connection or is it because I'm really tired and I want to go to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to think about like what's going on in your head. Um, and I will say when I do lose it, which you inevitably, inevitably will, just own it and apologize. Mm. You know, you're going to have those mistakes and you want to own up to those mistakes. And I think apologizing to your children is so, so incredibly important. Yeah. If you don't ever apologize to your child. Your child will never learn to no, apologize. They'll never learn to apologize. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sharing something personal here, but two days ago, it was the day before my book launch. As we record this, I know we're going live a little bit later as people mm -hmm. listen to this now. Um, but I, um, my son was therefore because it's the school holidays and we're in lockdown. So there's not many play dates and things happening. We, um, he was just having to do what he, whatever he could think to do. So he did some painting, which was lovely. Then he just watched like a bazillion things on YouTube and his show. And, and then I was like, oh, he's just been on the screen for so long. And I was upset with myself for not having the time that day to connect with him and do something different. But I got upset at him for being on the screen. 
And, uh, and then I was like, you have to read, you know, you know, you, you need more help with, cons- uh, what is it? Comprehension. And um, reading is just so magical and getting inside the story and you're reading The Hobbit, like, why don't you just pick it up and read? And I got really upset. And I, I'm not someone who naturally gets upset very often. I'm not hot-headed. So it's a real thing when he sees me raise my voice. And, um, and I just spent the whole day feeling yucky about it and I was trying to process it. And that night I was like, sweetheart, I was not upset at you. You were just doing the best you could while I was trying to work. I was actually upset that I had to work when I couldn't be with you. And that's what I was upset at. So I'm really sorry I raised my voice. And we just had this really lovely moment at the end of the day. He's 12, so I explain everything. You know, he deserves that explanation um, and is trying to figure out the world as a preteen. So it's really important, right? So, um, yeah, we made good in the end. And uh, and I thought that just seemed like the perfect time to share that because, so relevant to what you've just said. That was a lovely example, Alex. I think that perfectly demonstrated the exact point that we were trying to make. When you do lose it, always apologize to your kids and own up for what you're actually feeling and let Mm. them know that you weren't actually mad at them. Yeah. uh, I think it, it just helps them helps them make sense of something they were probably quite confused about themselves, you know. Definitely. Mm. So you mentioned you had ADHD and uh, were diagnosed with dyslexia when you were a kid. Um, As a a clinician now, like what do you wish you knew back then? What do you wish your family knew to support you better back then? Honestly, I wish they spoke Uh, you know, the health professionals out there, I wish they really spoke to my parents and myself about the importance of diet and the importance of the environment Mm. and the importance of rhythm and the importance of screen time, even back then, you know, and media usage, because it it all impacts children in general, but especially children um, who have ADHD and, and other learning difficulties and challenges. Yeah. And so let's step through a few of those things and get some key insights. Diet, obviously huge. Um, what was your diet in the um, in your early years and how oh, do you think that horrible impacted? diet. Really? Um, oh, yes. Was it standard American? Standard American, but I could say even worse. I was addicted to sugar when, you know, I, I loved, you know, eating burgers. I loved Taco Bell. Like I had such a bland diet. It was just, you know, meat and potatoes kind of thing. And so many packaged snacks, all like the fruit by the foot, the shark bites, everything that had all the artificial dyes, all the preservatives and tons of sugar, which all really make it a lot harder for a child who has ADHD, you know, and, and learning challenges and for any child, in fact. Mm. Yeah. And and so some of the key things that we can do if a parent out there is listening and thinking, oh, gosh, my child really does tend towards that stuff. And, um, you know, if there's an apple and a Pop-Tart, there's, they're always going to choose the Pop-Tart. Like, how do I start? How do I start reining it in? Um, well, Actually, there's a great book that I um, am now recommending called Sugar Proof. Mm. And it's by um, Emily Ventura, Dr. Emily Ventura and Dr. Michael Garan. And they actually have two great programs in their book where they give you like a seven-day program. And then I think it's like a month-long program on how to detox the sugar out of your child's life. Because it is, it is, it is tough, mm. you know? You know, my point is, is to not have it in the house and to have better options available, Yeah, you know, and to recognize that with children, I think a big fear of a lot of parents is that they think my child's not going to eat. I just need to give them something. And I'd rather they give them a pop tart, you know, if, you know, they're not going to eat anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think what you got to look at is the majority of children know how to feel like they'll, they'll let you know when they're hungry, they're not going to starve themselves unless there's a medical condition that's Mm. underlying. Um, so I like to look at a two week period. If your child's not eating anything in two weeks, then go to your doctor, but there's a lot of ups and downs. There's times where they're going to feel more hungry and there are times that they're not going to feel as hungry. And so I think it's really important that parents, we let them know that as the parent, you decide what to feed your child and when, 
And your child decides if and how much, especially for if this is especially important for younger children. Mm, absolutely. And as they get older, you know, you want to have more input from your child, involve them in the cooking, especially cooking. I like to involve children from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but when, especially when they're older, get more input from your child and see what they want. And then let's examine the ingredients on the back of a label together. Let's see what's yep. in it. And do they want to eat something like this or should we find a different swap? Yeah. I remember I um, in the past have done preschool workshops, especially when I was just starting to build community and get to know what the real challenges were out there for parents. And uh, I, I just, four-year-olds are my favourite audience. They're just like little sponges and um, and they really want to know when they're like, they're very excited when they know what's right. And because uh, they've just come out of their why, 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 why? Yeah. And, and, you know, so they know some stuff now. And, um, you know, we talk about uh, what food should be made from and I show them pictures and show them a picture of a super pretty looking cupcake with all these colours on top. And then I show them a picture of an oil refinery. And, uh, you know, I say, does this look like a place where food comes from? And they're all like, no. And I'm like, do you know they turn this stuff into those pretty little decorations on cupcakes? And the room just goes, what? <laughs> and then I show them a really big picture of a fruit salad. And I say, you know, just like everybody shout out what your favorite fruit is. And like the little kids just get so excited and they say something because um, generally at least they will like some kind of fruit. Yes. And uh, so it's a good baby step, isn't it? And um, Yes, very much so. Yeah, and and then I'm like, so what are we going to choose in the future? We're going to choose real food. <laughs> it's just so cute. And they get it. They get it straight away. Yeah, but you have to explain it all to them. It's really about educating your children from the beginning and recognizing that modeling is so important because if you're not eating those things, your children aren't going to. Yeah. So look at what's in your home and see what you're eating too. Mm. And then if, say, you are providing those nutritious things, but your children say they don't want them. Let's try and figure out a different way to cook them, you know, or a different place to eat them. And there, I think that there's different ways, of, you know, instead of giving up right away and saying, all right, I'm going to be a short order chef and just make you something else. Oh, Let's gosh. not do that. Let's not yeah. do that. It's one and of the make sure to stay away from like putting an iPad in front of them you know, while they're eating. That's like my big thing is making sure that you are allowing them to eat in the presence of an adult and yeah. eating together and having conversations. Mm, so because important. that's what brings everybody together. Yeah. I, I, we have um, a, a fussy eating resource that is super comprehensive uh, on um, my website. And I put it together with a dear friend. We've educated so many parents over the years and I'll never forget one of the best emails I got was I just didn't realize how important it was for us to eat together. And uh, we've prioritized a dining table and we now have one and we're eating together every night and I'm learning things about my kid I didn't even know and they're eating food they never even ate. And it's just, um, it's just magical when difference. the lights actually yeah. go off for people, right? Yeah, 100%. It's a huge mm. difference, mm. you know. When kids see you eating, they, I mean, kids naturally mimic what they see. That's why when they play, why, you know, kids love those pretend kitchens is because they see their parents in the kitchen cooking and they want to mimic what you're doing. Yeah. So cute. When they play pretend house, that's what they're doing. Mm. Um, and so we've talked a little bit about diet there and that certainly gives people some, some ideas. Um, what are some of the environmental concerns for you when it comes to conditions like ADHD? Uh, well, there's definitely a number of them. Mm. I mean, when it comes to specifically with ADHD, you know, I think media usage is really important and not having like a stimulating environment. Um, I think a lot of children's rooms are so overstimulating that it makes it really difficult to actually even go to sleep. Mm. You know? And um, sleep is often, you know, when you're diagnosing ADHD, something that I always look for 
is, are there any problems with sleep? Because if you're not sleeping, you're not mm. going to be able to pay attention the next day. Yeah. And so, you know, I always like to refer out to make sure are, you know, are there any oral problems in their mouth? Because if they're sleeping with their mouth open and not getting enough air, you know, they're not, they're not going to sleep well, and then they're going to have attentional difficulties. So, mm. you know, that's a big one. So when they're in their sleeping environment, making sure to have neutral, you know, colors, not having a lot of stuff. I don't actually like having toys in their room, mm. um, especially because as children often will tell you, toys come alive at, at night. <laughs> um, so it can actually be quite disruptive. Um, and um, so I like to have it just as very peaceful and calming as possible. Like even the nightlight, a lot of the nightlights out there have such a strong blue light that it's disruptive. You know, like it's yeah. like very much a similar light that you've got from your your phone and your your screen, which mm. you don't want. So I love the you know rock salt um, lamps because yeah, beautiful, beautiful. It's more of a red tone, um, gives you enough light, but it doesn't actually interrupt your sleep. Mm. And so, and just having you know a small amount of books in the room, and you know their clothes and and their bed. That's what and we've that's got. I'm, I'm ticking all my boxes going, yay, that's what we've yay. got. <laughs> I think it's just keeping it really simple. And then mm. the other things you want to look at is that there's a lot of time there's allergies, um, even, even asthma involved. And so, you know, indoor air can actually be quite, you know, even more polluted than, than outdoor air. Mm. And so looking at, you know, getting, you know, opening up windows or um, if you can't afford it, getting, you know, a quality air purifier, um, you know, I love the one by IQ Air. Um, Austin Air is also another great one. Mm. And getting an organic, if you can't afford an organic mattress, getting an organic pillow um, or at least organic bedding. Um, so that way you're limiting your, you know, intake. To- yeah, toxic the toxic exposure. Mm. Yeah, because obviously our body can naturally detox. Like we have a liver to naturally detox things. But the problem comes about is that we're, we're accumulating so much that it's going to come out somewhere, you mm. know, at some point for some people. And so we just have to be mindful of that to try and limit it. Yeah. And when people make these lifestyle changes um, and ADHD is still present, um, what's the next step? Like how do people know the best way to navigate that now? Because if you're following low tox principles you know, you see everywhere, you you don't want to medicate, but like sometimes that might be an SOS solution while you work on the long game. I'm sure it's more of a gray area situation when it's a a really big problem for a child and a family. I think it's definitely individualized, you know, Mm. some children may need it and like, you know, and it may, they may need a different kind of learning environment. And unfortunately our educational system is um, still, you know, you got to fit in this nice square. And if you don't, you know, you're out of luck. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's a problem. Um, And I think with, with kids, you just have to be more open to different types of learning, Mm. you know, and it it doesn't always, they're not going to fit into that little square, you know? And so with kids on, with ADHD, getting, making sure to get a proper neuropsychological evaluation. So, you know, kind of where their strengths and weaknesses are, what they may need more help with in terms of their accommodations, um, making sure to have as simplified of a home as possible, not having things in everywhere, making mm. sure to have a place. Every Everything has to have a home mm-hmm. because I think that's a big problem. We're constantly the kids on who have ADHD. They don't, they, they forget things. They don't know where to put things. They can't find things. I think that's a problem with a lot of kids nowadays. Um, (laughs) But if you have a home for it, like this is where your backpack goes, your shoes stay outside in the basket. You know, this is where your lunchbox goes. You know, this is where you have your school clothes in this nice basket. I keep my kids school clothes in a basket uh, for each one in the kitchen because Mm. I don't want to go back and forth from their room. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Uh, So it just making things easier and simplified if you just simplify your life more, it makes it a lot easier for a child with ADHD and then having lots of stability and lots of routines. You know, when you break those things up, it becomes very difficult and very overwhelming for a child uh, who has ADHD. So I think those are really important. And then going back to diet, diet is really key because they can increase those symptoms when you're 
having too much refined sugar or added sugar and too many preservatives and artificial dyes, when you remove those, and at least when with me personally, when I experienced it, it was a lot easier for me. Mm. You know, it didn't remove my ADHD. It didn't mean I didn't have it, but I definitely noticed the difference. Yeah. Interesting. And do you, do you still have it as an adult? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I struggle. I, um, I have a lot of compensatory strategies that I've learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my friends are more type A uh, people. And yeah. so it actually helps out a lot more. Um, and I have a lot of things in place. I, I have to prepare beforehand. I have to have my checklists. Uh, I have to have things organized more and do it beforehand in order for me to be more successful. Yeah, I completely agree. As someone who I don't think I, I've, like I know I've never been diagnosed, but I definitely notice ADHD traits in myself. Um, I get very flustered as soon as I don't have my list anymore and uh, there might be a few extra things piling onto the mental list. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, the, the thing that calms me and the things that helps me move forward is to just breathe, make a cup of tea, make a list and just start checking off. I I love that. Mm. And then the one other thing I didn't address in terms of environmental toxins, I just want to touch on this heavy metal toxicity. Mm. Uh, You have to just be mindful of that. And as well, um, and mold. Mold is huge, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Very big. And it's something that like, I wish more people talked about and it's so hard because you can't always see it. You know, Mm. you don't even know what to look for sometimes. And sometimes it's behind a wall and you didn't even know it was there. And, you know, it's just impacting your health in so many different ways. Oh, uh, yes. As uh, we're a family who's been, who's moved seven times in the last year and a half, oh my. Uh, evading mold. Uh, two of the places were the moldy places, but of course you then have to go to an emergency Airbnb situation um, and, uh, and then look for another place. And we went down to my parents for a bit because it was locked down and it was nice to be in the country. Um, so we did a lot of moving to find an environment that was um, safe for us because my son and my brains, um, we are extremely am- impacted by mold in a very negative way. Um, luckily, he only gets half of my genes and my <laughs> my husband is rock solid. Uh, and, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it doesn't display as badly for him. But, yes, focus, concentration, fogginess, um, his handwriting. Uh, I will actually email you after we um, finish our conversation today. Uh, a difference, a two-week difference in being out of the mouldy home from being in it. Uh, I, I show friends, yeah, I show friends who I don't quite, it. yeah, I show friends who don't kind of get it. Um, they're like, but it's mold's just annoying. I'm like, oh no. So and then, yeah, and I show them, and I'm like, this is two weeks. They're like, what? I can't believe it. It's like a different child's writing. I'm like, exactly. His brain's not inflamed anymore. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. And I wish more doctors spoke about it mm. and about the impact because a lot of people just aren't aware of it and don't yeah. even know like, well, how do I even start, you know, finding a mold specialist, doing, having an evaluation done, getting testing and swabbing and air samples done. And how do you remediate that? And how, if, can we even afford that? Like, there's mm. just so many questions around mold. I mean, we could spend a whole episode on mold. Oh, we could. Um, it's something I advocate for a lot in um, in my work to just help people piece that um, part of the puzzle together. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I wanted to ask about connection um, and anxiety, uh, partly because our world got turned upside down and I certainly don't want to go into any of the narratives either direction floating around. I don't think that's our purpose here today um, at all, but is it is impossible to not talk about how this affects children um, given the artificial learning environments we've had to create um, for many people who aren't homeschooling, let's say. So the school system gets shut down and uh, parents are trying to work and, you know, trying to support their kids through homeschooling. And it's been a really tricky time, but for kids, it's also been tricky because connection has moved even further online Um, in a world where we've recognised that we need to try and get kids offline as much as possible. Um, And this is really breaking the hearts of many families. Um, 
And and now we see us all moving back into socialising more, going back to school in person. And I, I wondered from a psychological point of view, and it might be different for different aged kids, um, how we can support them in reconnecting in person again. Is there anything that we could be doing as parents? Sure. So one thing I want to let parents know, um, especially, you know, if you're concerned or worried about this is that kids are resilient. So awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yes. Um, they, <laughs> they do bounce back very quickly, especially the younger the child. Um, um, but it is hard, you know, and they did lose a lot of connection, but luckily things are opening up for a lot of people. Um, but you just one thing I will caution is to not jump in so quickly to the deep end where you're back to having your full schedule and every single extracurricular activity under the sun because you feel like you missed out on a year. Mm. And that's what I really caution parents to do because yes, they were home and yes, they were on screens, but a lot of the time, you know, for some people, they were fortunate enough to actually spend a little bit more quality time with their children. They weren't rushing out the door in the morning. So they actually had a little bit more time with, you know, breakfast and eating with them. And they weren't able to be online all day long. Mm. Uh, some schools aren't. And so they had more free time. So you just want to ease children back into it because a lot of parents I will see are just throwing them into so many extracurriculars because they said, well, they missed out on an entire year. They didn't yeah. get to learn, you know, ballet or soccer or baseball or, you know, guitar or piano or whatever it may be. But in reality, like you, you don't want to overwhelm the child and the best play for a child is to really just be outside in nature, mm. That's, you know, and, and for your older kids, your older ones, they want to just connect with their friends. Yeah. You know, um, but just being outside, outdoor in nature and just like having more time, like they can be with their friends, but you don't need to have them in such structured activities because they had to be structured by sitting at a computer at a desk for so long that you just want to have them outside playing. Mm, so, so true. Uh, we've been incredibly blessed ourselves having tennis as our family sport. Our club is outside. So we've been able to keep doing that and it's made things feel quite normal. Um, but I absolutely take your point in the the story we tell ourselves as parents about, but they've missed a year or they've missed two years even almost. And um, your, your children don't realize it. No, I, just, just, I think, yeah. yes, you know, parents, we're so concerned about, oh, but they didn't get to do all of these things. Your children don't know what they're missing, mm. you know, and they're not going to be worse off because they missed a year or two of, you know, soccer and they're going to be behind that. That's something that you have to think about as a parent. Why am I projecting that onto my child? Because mm. um, they're going to pick up on that, you know, and they're yeah. going to pick up on your anxiety. Yeah. Uh, kids are very perceptive. Like I said earlier, you know, when you just sit back and let things unfold, kids are very aware of what's going on um, more so than you actually think, because they hear everything and they watch everything. They watch every, you know, facial expression, every look, everything. Absolutely. I had a wonderful uh, educator, a longtime educator, school principal, uh, and an incredible um a ped pedagogy developer, like, you know, just learning systems for small under fives mm -hmm. and learning through play. And he was just fabulous to chat to. Uh, and he um, was saying, oh, what was he saying? He was saying it's so important, especially during times of adversity, that the child not only sees you in the stressful moment, but they see you come out the other side and then you help them understand how you did that. What did you do to actually resolve the situation or accept the situation if it wasn't something you could control um, and talk it through? As young as four and five, they deserve to start, you know, understanding how that works. I completely agree with that 100%. Mm. And yeah. I do that with my children. When they see, you know, my children see that I'm nauseous, even my, my like, almost three-year-old, she'll be like, are you, are you nauseous today? You know? um, and she's aware that I'm struggling. And I say, yeah, right now I'm feeling a little nauseous, which is why I'm lying down and it's hard for me to play. I do want to play with you, 
but right now I'm going to lie down and watch. And then she'll say, well, I'll take care of you. Children, they're very aware. Mm-hmm. And they, I think if you share with them about not too, obviously too in depth, uh, in depth about your struggles, like, um, but high level, you mm-hmm. know, if you're upset about something, or if you, you know, during lockdown, you missed your friends too, you know, mm-hmm. and you missed going out. You can share that with your kids. And yeah. let them know, like, okay, well, how am I staying connected with my friends? What do I plan to do, you know, when things are better? What am I doing? What are the things that I'm loving right now that we, you know, because we're in lockdown? Yeah, so true. Yeah. We made a we made a list, or my son made a list of the top ten things he's going to do. Um, we're going to do actually. He included us in a lot of it, so he's <laughs> not a teenager yet. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but, um, it was just the most beautiful list. Like number one was just going to the country and seeing the grandparents and like, you know, lots of little things. So we've got those things to look forward to, but I really love what you just said there. I feel like we need to also make a list of some of the things that have been really special about this time. Yeah. Mm. I think it's a, it's a really nice exercise. Mm, done. That's that's happening today, Doc. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, so obviously, if kids have been potentially on screens more during this time, there may be some social anxieties that may unfold as we reconnect. Correct. Yes. Correct. So, how do we? Not just because of the screens, but also because of what they see, like the masks, the testing you know, um, yeah, yeah, germs, yeah, yeah. The, the, the overhearing the, the news and the talk from the parents about like, oh, we can't see anybody. We can't hug them, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Gosh. You know, we've, we've definitely kept the news right, right off. As soon as it comes on in the radio, if we're in the car, it's like, nope, nope, nope. Off. Don't we just, nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we know that this is happening in this time. That's literally all we need to know. Let's just be together. Correct. Um, so, Uh, if anxiety comes up socially, like, you know, they have their first fight in the playground again and uh, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, my friend doesn't like me anymore and they haven't really had to deal with these kinds of issues for a little while now, many children around the world. So um, is there anything we can do to support them through those um, reconnection um, hiccups as we, we remind them that all of this is normal, obviously, and... Um, you can't love everybody every day and everything that they're doing and people are going to disagree. Um, any tips for us? Yeah. So uh, what I like to tell kids is what I would tell kids, you know, regardless of the pandemic happening or not, is that you're going to have days where, where you like your friends and days where you don't want to play with them that day. And that's all right. And so letting them know, you know, the ins and outs of relationships, just like, you know, you can compare it like what I do with my kids. I'll say, you know, I love your daddy, but there are some times where I don't want to hang out with him (laughs) and some days where I love hanging out with him and that's all right. You know, I will always love him. Um, and I'm, you know, you know, but I think so explaining that to them is really helpful. Uh, sometimes modeling what's going on can be really helpful. You know, if like your child is struggling with one of their friends or a play group, you know, figuring out what happened. A lot of the times with, especially with young children, they're not aware that they're in their, you know, friend's space or that they don't want to play the game that their Mm. friend wants to play, you know, you know, especially, and then with children saying, Oh, my friends don't like me. Um, That's very common, especially between the ages of five and seven, when they go through this, what I call this, the, what's called the six year change Um, and happen anywhere between those ages where you start to have your child all of a sudden say, my friends don't like me. No one loves me. And everybody's so mean to me. And they start to become really deep feeling like emotional thinkers and really sensitive and all of a sudden cry for no reason. Um, I, I, I'm struggling to find a better word, but it's kind of like their first stage of puberty, but it's not mm. puberty. What we spe- expect physical puberty. It's like the, you know, spiritual, emotional puberty um, that they go through. And so that's where it requires a lot of patience on the parents' part and a lot of validation yeah. uh, of what they're telling you um, and sitting with them and saying like, yeah, it must be really hard to think that your friends don't like you. Mm-hmm. 
taking that long pause, letting them think about that and process that because kids take a lot longer to process things. Oh, I love that tip. That's, I don't (laughs) think we should skim over that. That's very important. Yeah. Oh, well, yes, I could go on and on about that. Their frontal Mm. lobe not being developed whatsoever. You know, they have no impulse control. They really have, you know, they take so much longer to process things. And even when you're asking them, oh, it's time to get dressed, they're not even really hearing that and processing it. And so that's why you have to not take offense when they're not actually doesn't seem that they're listening to you. It just takes longer for them to process. Anytime you validate something, validate a feeling, I want you to take a pause and count in your head for 60 seconds. Oh, wow. It's a long time and it's going to seem like forever for you. Mm. But I want your child to have that space where they feel safe sitting with you and safe to tell you what they're feeling because that just sets you up for success later in life when your child knows that they can come to you and you're not going to try and fix it. Yeah. They can just tell you that something's bothering you or bothering them and they're not, and you're not going to sit there and be like, okay, well, how do I make you happy? What do I do to make sure you feel better? Because that's not what people always want. Yeah. <laughs> people don't want the problem solver. They, they, that's why they people love therapy. They, they love someone to just listen to them. Yeah, absolutely. It. Mm. And so when you do sit there and validate, yeah, it sounds like, your friend really didn't like you today and then pause. I'm going really slow because that's how slow I want you to go with your child. Yeah. Beautiful. You're going to follow it up and say, what makes you think that what happened? Because you really want to get inside your child's head to get a better understanding because then you can kind of take back the layers of the onion and figure out, okay, well, what did your friend say? Oh, they said that they didn't want to play that game. Hmm. Well, it sounds like your friend might have different interests than you, you know, mm-hmm. do you, and then like do a, a, a comparison, like say they have a sibling or say you, you're, you're, you know, you're, your sibling. Well, you know, my sister and I are very different and mm-hmm. we still like each other, but she likes to play, you know, this musical instrument and I don't. And sometimes when she's playing it, I don't want to sit and hang out with her at that point. Mm, that's you know? so... but that doesn't mean she's still my, not my friend. Yeah. And so I think pointing those things out to children kind of gives you, gives them that like aha moment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've definitely known, noticed that I've had to work um, extra hard on that, having an only child. Yes, for um, sure. You know, we always make a point of playdates being day long or a sleepover. So it's a really good big chunk of time that you have to spend with another human. So you will invariably have a moment where you don't want to do the same thing and move move through that. Yeah. And taking turns with your child, like, you know, they don't only get to control the music, you Mm. know, in the the home, like you get to pick too, because you have a say. Yeah. Turns is really important, you know, uh, for any child, but, uh, you know, especially children who are only children because they've, you know, a lot of the time, children who are only children, they, they get everything they want all the time. So mm. I think it's so great that you're so mindful of that. Yeah. And then we kind of went the other way, like being really not getting, making sure that he got like almost <laughs> nothing that he wanted just for a little while. And I was like, no, this is too mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, parents, we're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? Oh, completely. But that's because mm. we care so much. It is. That's exactly right. So I, I, I know I could talk to you forever, but I just want to ask you um, one more question because we've kind of moved into that realm and that's on the emotional development um, and stages of a child. And we've kind of had some examples of, of little people, slightly older kids. Um, what are some of the things that, um, that help a parent um, parent better and, and realise what's happening more in their child as they go um, from um, zero to teens, uh, it, that that by understanding the emotional developmental points, we can go, ah, okay, that's where we're at and this is what I need to do right now. I feel like I could talk about this for an entire lecture. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a very tough one to answer, like a, you know, with just a couple sentences. What I can say is, in general, one of the things I like to tell parents is, it's not, and I think this applies across all ages. It is not your job to make your child happy. Mm. It is your job to help them learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. And that is 
very applicable across the, sta- the different ages um, because you want them to learn frustration tolerance. You want them to have delayed gratification. You know, you want them to be able to have that comfort to like know that they can come to you and be uncomfortable and it can be an uncomfortable situation, not feel like they have to, you know, not tell you what's actually happening in their life. So um, I think that's something that I will would advise all parents to to really think about. Mm, so important. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I, I feel like I learned a couple of things that, or, or even just reconnected to some truths that I, I'm excited to work on. And I know people listening would have done the same. Uh, we can find you on Instagram. I love your Instagram. Um, you share some super useful things there. So I'd yeah, love to the, point I've everyone to Organic Mummy. Yes, doctor.organicmummy, um, spelt the American way. And how else can we connect to your work? Uh, I also have a website, uh, DR, um, Organic Mommy, Dr. Organic Mommy. And I have tons of blog posts from, you know, getting, you know, how to help your child, you know, appreciate and learn to eat healthy eating to potty training to, you know, you know, everything in between um, on there as well as like um, now I'm doing parenting consultations as well. Oh, amazing. The people and I've can got do a couple that with you. That I've taught. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's great. Uh, well, thank you so much once again. Thank you for the work you do. And I definitely can feel a part two coming on with this one. Yes, I, I agree. It was so lovely speaking with you, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in. Mm-hmm.